0: Verse 1 to 15, Colossians 2, verse 1 to 15. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Welcome to those people online as well. Colossians 2. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body... I am present with you in spirit and in delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is a head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Brian. I sort of wanted Brian to continue reading there. What a lovely section of scripture that uh, Colossians is. And uh, it's one of those sections of scripture which we can come back to time and time again because there is always just so much more uh, tucked away in, uh, in those pages and we rejoice uh, with the Apostle Paul and all that he had to say to us and uh, we had to learn however don't you find it so easy to just allow these words to just go very quickly over the top of your head uh, some of us fell off yesterday whilst we were out rafting and the water or not rafting at tubing and the water would just go straight over the top of you because you were held down perhaps uh, for a few seconds with the water that was going over uh the rapids and that reminds me of something that a young lady said to me yesterday she said uh, she said um the raptures this is before we'd sort of got there and i and i was thinking yeah i, I said there's only one rapture or there will only be one rapture She said, no, 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 there's got to be more than one. I said, no, 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 there's only one. And she was referring to rapids, not raptures, okay? (laughs) So I just want to say that uh, we're looking forward to the rapture, but at the same time, it was exciting to think that uh, it could possibly have happened yesterday. However, it was rapids that we were talking about. But the Apostle Paul speaks so beautifully. And um, he talks about the fact that we've got to be careful about what we hear, what's being spoken to us The fact that people will come across with fine-sounding arguments as to why we're wrong, as to why the scriptures are wrong, as to why what we're taught and what we're being explained isn't necessarily right. And the posh word that's used today is revisionalist theology. And what that means is that you go through the Bible and when you come across a section that you don't like, you change it, you revise it. You alter it, perhaps in your mind, but then when you come to teach it and to explain to other people, you say, well, no, the Bible doesn't really say that. What it means is this, and then you go off. And the reason why you bring your Bibles to church is because you need to make sure that what we're talking about, what we're speaking, what I'm speaking about, is from God's word. And that's why it is so important that we keep our scriptures handy. Derek Tidball was a theologian and a Baptist pastor from the United Kingdom. And he tells of an account... Uh, in one of his books of a man who visited Florida during the orange um, harvest season when all the oranges had gone orange and they were ready to be uh, picked and uh, shipped out to all sorts of places. So he was there uh, in, uh, in Florida during this harvesting season. You'll know that Florida grows a huge number of oranges and there's a good chance that the orange that we have here comes from Florida. And the man was in a restaurant And he thought that he would order a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice. So we'll pour some orange juice in here. And that's what he was hoping to happen. Not that, but to uh, have a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice. So he placed his order. Mm, That's nice. He placed his order with uh, the waitress. And she went away and she came back. And she said, sir, I'm really sorry. Sorry but we can't give you any orange juice. The machine is broken. Okay? And he looks out of the window, and all he sees everywhere is orange trees, orange groves, full of oranges. And he's thinking to himself, surely, surely we can get some orange juice here. You know, If we were in sort of like Canada, that might be a bit tricky because you know, oranges don't grow on trees. I don't think they do in Canada anyway and uh, and so he was he was thinking to himself there's got to be a way around this <clears throat> sometimes i suspect that for many of us the christian life can seem a little bit like this how do we get the orange juice out of it we see it we feel it how do we get the juice How do we get the juice out? And when you read letters like the letter that we have here of Paul to the Colossians, uh, you read of some of the incredible resources. And as Brian was reading, it just struck me again. He read the word treasures. And these are the resources that are available to us. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's ours in our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is ours Paul spoke about these treasures. So why then is it, please tell me, why is it that so many Christians feel like they live in absolute abject poverty, spiritually speaking? There's nothing in them. And they're wondering, how is it that some people are so excited about knowing Jesus and you, just not interested? And other people, it seems, they're able to communicate with God, to to hear Him speak to them, and you've been listening and you just don't hear anything. And you end up thinking to yourself, He's not interested in me. He's not listening to me. In verses 9 and 10, Paul says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Well, if that's the case, why do I feel so empty? Just empty. People talk to me and I'm empty. I've got nothing within me to give, to share, to talk. And I see other people and they're so full and and the love of the Lord Jesus just keeps flowing out. of. You know the people I'm referring to. You meet with them and you, you go away just seconds later knowing All about Jesus, because you see it on their face, you hear it in their voice, the way they respond to you, the way they interact with you, it's tremendous and it's exciting. And they are so full, that fullness just flows out. And friends, that's the position we need to be in as a church. All of us. So why is it that some of us complain that they're empty? What's going on? friends how do we get the juice out of the orange and this is what Paul addresses in the section of scripture that we're going to talk about this morning here in Colossians chapter 2 now the message this morning fits in with Acts 19 that we've spoken about last week and the week before and all of these messages fit in with Acts chapter 2 the coming of the Holy Spirit but you see, we're not ready to talk about the gifts of the Spirit yet. Because that comes through our being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me just remind you of the context. Uh, <clears throat> because Paul did not write Colossians in sections there's a progressive development uh, that takes place. And if anybody can remember when we met together for our Bible studies together, going back into the winter period, we, were, we enjoyed thoroughly looking at Colossians. And in the last part of chapter one, Paul is bringing them to the word of God in its fullness. <clears throat> and he explains that it involves a mystery that has been hidden for ages and for generations and for ages, and for generations. It's a mystery that never made sense to Abraham. It's a mystery that never made sense to Moses. And it never made sense to the prophets. But at last, after generations of this mystery being hidden, at last it has now been revealed. And you and I are no longer caught wondering what this mystery is all about that he's speaking here. And the mystery is, he says, the mystery is this. Can anyone tell me? What is the mystery? We've been speaking about it last week and the week before and weeks before that. What is it? Now, I know you've got to be pretty brave to put your hand up in the air or just to shout out. What c- possibly could this mystery be? Right. Yes, young lady. Did, did you shout out? Was it you? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, it was Rachel. No? Okay. Right, we'll go over to this side. What's the mystery? Yeah, the mystery is Christ living in us. That was the mystery that could not be understood. And then all of a sudden, everything has been revealed. And we discover that the mystery has been revealed. After generations, at last it has been revealed. And the mystery is, Paul says, he says this, the mystery is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. And now you see how this fits in with the message that we've had for the last two weeks. Because, friends, as a fellowship, many of us are struggling with this mystery. We've still not understood it as we should do, we're still making excuses, we're still afraid. We're still wondering, how is it possible that this could possibly ever happen to me? You might be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not going to come along anymore on a Sunday morning because it's the same message approached from a different angle each time. But we've got to get to grips with this because until we do, we are weak and anemic in our Christian faith and in our Christian lives. We're not able to make the stand When the world throws things at us as it does and as it increasingly does. And our children and our young people, we need to encourage them. But at the moment, some of us are so empty, there's no way we can encourage them. And we need to understand this. Because we have to give the lead as God works in us. You see how it all fits together. And so this morning we come to reiterate what can only be described as the fullest expression of the gospel. Paul is saying in the context, God has nothing to give you beyond Jesus Christ himself and everything else, what is it? It is the outworking of the life of Jesus Christ in us. You see, it's really very simple. And The complication is made by us. The question is, how do we get the juice out of the orange? And in the verses that we're looking at this morning, Paul takes the approach of talking to us, about the ways that we try to get the juice out of the orange. And he talks about two particular approaches. One is the truth. And when we follow it, we are successful. And the other one, Paul tells us, is absolutely and utterly false. And he also tells us this, it doesn't work. It's never worked and it never will work. But countless thousands of people who call themselves Christians keep on trying. Church after church keeps preaching a false gospel that is reputed to get the juice out of the orange. But if you like, the machine's broken (laughs) and it can't happen. This false option purports to be real. It looks real. And many people think it is the real thing. But it's not the real thing. It's the pseudo version. The pretend version. The version that people feel more content with and happier with. It's extremely subtle. And it catches people unaware. Because when a revisionalist theology comes to you and says, did God really say? And where we've heard those words before, did God really say? And suddenly there's little doubts put in your mind. And suddenly you're thinking to yourself, well, hold on a minute. You know, maybe, maybe this is right. Perhaps I've been taking it all too seriously. It's very subtle. You need to remember that the church that the Apostle Paul is writing to, he's not visited the church. He said that in the section of Scripture that uh, uh, that Brian had read to us. But this is a first generation church that Paul is speaking to. This is not a group of people who have inherited some kind of cultural Christianity but never knew spiritual life. I'm just going to make a point there and say that one of the most dangerous things in the world is cultural Christianity. The Christianity that is all based upon traditions. Traditions that are passed down from one person to the next. And the next generation are not encouraged to look at the scriptures to really think to themselves what it is it's being spoken about. And there are several countries in the world where this is prevalent. If you go to Armenia, for example, one of those southern Russian, uh, former Russian republics. And uh, I've, I've met, uh, if, did you know that uh, you can tell an Armenian because their name ends in IAN at the end. And, and they know all about Jesus but they don't know Jesus because it's a form of cultural Christianity. And I met Mrs. Ozonian. She was lovely. And uh, when I was at college in London, in the West End of London, um, she used to invite me around for dinner on a Sunday afternoon, okay? And she couldn't stop talking about Jesus, but she would talk about the fact that her country was so dominated by traditions and everybody thought that they belonged to jesus because they were born an arminian you've got to be very careful about cultural christianity it's lethal dangerous no this is a first generation church founded in all likelihood on paul's third missionary journey when in Ephesus the gospel spread throughout Asia, including uh, Colossae, uh, these are relatively new Christians. But they've allowed themselves to be seduced by this pseudo, seemingly attractive means of getting the juice out of the orange. They're living the Christian life effectively. And they're lulled into a false pseudo-Christian life. But firstly, what we need to do, because we're going to talk about that next week, what we have to do is talk about the real thing this week. Now, why would we need to talk about the real thing this week rather than the false thing? Well, I'm going to explain that to you. I was reading about uh, the way that they... They used to, I don't know if they still do, perhaps John can answer this question, but bankers used to train tillers to be able to spot fake $20 bills, uh, a fake 50-pound note, okay? And do you know how they did it? They would sit them down and pile them high in front of them, the real thing, real $20 bills, real 50-pound notes or whatever currency. And they would give them to them and people would handle them and touch them and feel them. They'd smell them. Because if you got to know what the real thing was, then the minute a false one was placed in your hat, you'd know it. Because it didn't feel right. It didn't even <laughs> smell right. There was just something wrong about it. And that is so important because if we turn it around the other way and we start learning a false Christianity, a cultural Christianity, a pseudo-Christianity, not a real one, we'll struggle to find the real thing. When it's presented to us. And so let's talk about the real thing. Let's talk about this, this subject of spiritual growth. The subject that causes so many of us so many problems. The cause that brings division between us. The people that seem to be growing and racing ahead. And then there's the others that haven't got off the, f- the start line just yet. And you're thinking, how do you do it? Where do you find the time to read your Bible? How is it you get so excited about kings one kings very exciting actually all about Solomon building the temple that's where the, the Freemasons get a lot of their early doctrine from Okay. Solomon's temple and so on so we talk about the real thing so first of all we read verses six and seven Verses that you have probably read many times, at least those of us who have been reading our Bibles, but possibly have failed to understand the significance of what is being spoken of here. So verses six and seven where Paul says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now listen to those words. They're packed already. Before we've even you know, got off the start line, it says, as you therefore have received so this is talking about believers it's talking about people who have received Jesus Christ as Lord all right then Paul goes on and says this just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving now have you ever noticed those words before what is Paul telling us to do he's saying just like when you came to faith in Jesus Christ that's how you have to live your life and you say to me how do I live the Christian life and the scriptures tell us how to live the Christian life and you're saying to yourself well how is it other people managed to do it and this is the answer because those words are so vitally important for us to understand as you therefore have received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now I love the rhythm of the uh, authorized or the King James Version, and the and the new King James Version is pretty good. It, the rhythm is as and so, as and so. As you knew Jesus, as you came to faith in Jesus, so walk in him. So as and so, those are the two little words. They've got two letters in them. Surely you can remember those this morning as and so. Now read the verse carefully. Paul is saying this. The way you received him is the way you should live in him. Now this immediately presents some of you a problem. Why does it present you a problem? Very simply, because you don't know Jesus. You haven't received him. But some of you are still trying to live the Christian life. We see this quite a lot when we move around our town, even. And I certainly meet people. And they talk to me about the blessings that God's given to them. And I say, So, when did you come to faith in the Lord Jesus? And they say, Oh, I'm not a believer. Do you see the problem? Paul is saying the way you receive him is the way you should live in him. Now this morning we desperately need to look at this verse closely. We're going to take just four points from it. Four points that are vital for us to be able to understand. And the first thing, and I'm sort of repeating myself, but the first thing to notice is the verse is that the way you receive Jesus is the way you live and continue in him. Verse 6 so walk in him but what does this mean well it means that to ask the question how do i live the christian life we have to ask another question and that question is this how did i become a christian So now we begin to see, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, you've got to ask yourself the question, and you need to focus on this, and you need to unpack it, and you need to dig deeply. And the question you ask is, how did I become a Christian? How did I come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the Scripture says, whatever happened there is the way that you need to carry on living. And what's the great lesson that we have? lesson is actually incredibly straightforward it's this I can't but he can you see some people try to save themselves and they're pretty serious about it some people have even told them some deceitful ways of doing this Some people who stand up at the front of the church and purport to preach will say, it's fine, you can do this. All you have to do is to remember that Jesus loves you. How did I become a Christian? As you receive him, so live in him. You became a Christian, a true Christian, a believer, on the basis of repentance and faith. Repentance is turning from myself, turning from my sin, turning from my abilities. And faith is turning to him, turning to his abilities. And faith is relying on him to do in me what I cannot do myself. Now that's what faith is. In other words, repentance says, I can't, and faith says, God can. And this is the basis on which any man, any woman, any boy, any girl has ever become a Christian. There is no other basis. As they come to the point of realizing, I can do absolutely nothing about the condition that I find myself in. But many people don't want to even recognize the condition that they are in. And they do think they can save themselves. And talking to Randy, some of the, if you want uh, to talk to Randy about some of the, the excuses that people give to him when he's been knocking on doors, is fascinating. Well, you know, God's never going to turn me away. Look at me. I'm a really, really good person. How could a God of love ever leave the the, the gate barred? And repentance is acknowledging that you turn from yourself. The word repent literally means to change the mind. You change your mind about yourself, you change your mind about your sufficiency, you change your mind about your ability. Because suddenly you realize you just can't do it. And you are pathetic to think you could. And you change your mind about your sin. And instead, you turn and put your faith in Christ and you say, I can't, but you can. Because suddenly it all clicks into place. You have tried so hard and then there it is, I can't. I can't do it but I know you can. Paul makes this point very clear in verse 13. He says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the law, having nailed it, to the cross and I think it's fair to say the the NIV um, reads very very much clearer than that so so if you haven't got an NIV um, grab Brian afterwards and just check that when you were dead in your sins and the circumcision of your sinful nature God made us alive with Christ who did it God did it he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code and its regulations. Why would anybody want to get so bogged down with the law when the scriptures say this? It was against us and opposed us and he took it away and I just loved the words there and he nailed it to the cross. Okay? That's what's been done for you and for me. Friends, the grounds in which anybody has ever become a Christian is purely the work of God. We know that because that's essential if you're a Christian. You cannot sneak into heaven by some sort of back door or a side entrance and yet there are people who seem to think that that's the way they're going to approach it. I'll creep round the back, surely there's another way in. You cannot be told you are of the elect if you do not come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not repent of your sin, change of mind, and turn to God in faith. And by the way, if you're not a believer here this morning and you actually are prepared to admit that you're not a believer, You've been thinking about it and you've been coming along and you know that you're not saved. You know that God doesn't, uh, hasn't revealed himself through his, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Well, I just want to say I'm really glad you're here. We're all glad you're here. But I'm going to tell you this. The reason you're not a Christian is because you still have some vested interest in your own ability and in your own capability. And I've got to tell you that you have no ability. You have no capability. And until you discover that you are utterly bankrupt and realize I can't, but God can. God can save me and God alone can save me on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. It's when you come to that point that you become a true believer you come to faith in the lord jesus christ now as you receive jesus as you receive jesus christ so live in him what's the basis of living the christian life it's exactly the same as our coming to faith in him i can't but he can you see friends some of you are really lovely people i've got to know some of you really well and i enjoy speaking to you and talking to you and enjoy having interaction with you and i recognize that you're great people but the reality is is that you cannot you never will be able to walk the christian life until you recognize that it is only him who enables you living in you through the holy spirit that enables you to do it you can't do it on your own that doesn't mean you're not a nice person So the great combination is a lovely person with the Holy Spirit living within them who makes them into this lovely person that they are to be. And that's the joy that we have. And so there's no real secret that is pertaining here. We live in the same way as we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians, Paul wrote to the Galatians and in chapter 3 he says, You foolish Galatians! Now, I've got to be honest with you and say, you know, that's not a nice way to write a letter to someone, is it? You know, you foolish people at Norwich Baptist Church. It wouldn't go down well, would it? We'd be somewhat disappointed to hear somebody say something along those lines. So what is it that Paul is talking about? He says, you foolish Galatians. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified then Paul says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Now listen to the question that he asks them. He says, I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? What's the answer to the question? Do you see the Spirit by observing, do you receive the Spirit by observing the law, keeping the rules, or by believing by faith? so could we ask for some audience participation for those of you who have come to faith in the lord jesus christ how did you receive the spirit okay so it wasn't by observing the law then no okay did anybody receive the spirit by observing the law no okay i thank you for the confirmation at the back Exactly right. Paul asks this question. How did you receive the Spirit? By observing the law? Or by having faith in Jesus? It's by faith in Jesus. Now, if you receive the Spirit by faith, we rejoice in that. And so we're saying That all of us who are saved have received the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus. Now notice that these Galatians knew exactly what the right answer was. Just about five verses earlier in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 16, Paul says, We know that a man is justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. So he's already given them the answer. They already know the answer to the question that is being asked of them. So then, having asked them the question rhetorically, he then says, Are you so foolish? (laughs) For after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to obtain your goal by human effort? Don't be so stupid. Do you see the Spirit by work or by faith? The answer is by faith. And he says, You fools. And by the way, it's worth noting that the Bible doesn't call many people fools. Nor should we. We should be careful. There was the fool who said in his heart, There is no God. And there's the fool who's doing well in business and he knocks down his barns and he builds bigger ones. That's okay, except for the fact that that night there's a tap on the shoulder. tonight your soul is required of you and you've totally neglected your soul you fool and here's a fool a Christian fool yes born of the Spirit and saying God I have promised you I'm gonna do my best to live for you now and it's all human effort and it's foolish It's all human activity and it's foolish. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you twits, you idiots. As you received Christ Jesus. Now, this is liberating because every morning when I wake up, I know this. (coughs) What is it? It's I cannot live the Christian life on my own. There are days when I try. My wife spots it straight away. My (coughs) kids spot it straight away. Other people in church spot it straight away. And we're all prone to that. We try and live our Christian life our way, in our ability, and we're foolish. But there's a person who lives inside of me And lives inside of every Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ. By his Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He lives his life. In me. And that's the only way I can live the Christian life. So you received him, so live. Trust and depend on him. I can't. But he can. So the first thing. The way you received him is the way you live in him. If you know enough to know how to become a Christian, then you actually know enough to know how to be the Christian you became. That's a bit complicated. I'll say it again. If you know enough to know how to become a Christian, then you actually know enough to know how to be the Christian you became. But the second thing is, as you have received Christ Jesus, and it's this, and it's the thing that so many of us struggle with, is the scriptures tell us here is, as we have read it in verse 6, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, so walk in him. Christianity is bringing your life under the lordship of Jesus. And one of the themes in the early part of Colossians is, of course, the sovereignty of God in creation, in conversion, in the church where Christ is the head of the church and so on. This is all contained in those early chapters in Colossians. And now he's saying to the Colossians, remember, when you received Christ, you also received him as Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Friends, these are the conditions that the scriptures set down for us. These are the conditions on which you received Jesus into your heart and into your life. And there are no other conditions. And the act of becoming a Christian involves, and again it's the thing that people just don't like and I've heard it so many times, It involves submission to Jesus Christ. Not partial submission. Not just the bits that you're happy to give up. But it's everything. And you cannot live the Christian life other than in the recognition that Jesus is Lord. We sing that little chorus, don't we? He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But do you mean it? Sometimes, when we sit and we listen to preachers and we get the idea that there are two kinds of Christians, don't we? As is how I grew up, I thought this to myself. And perhaps those of us who have been brought up in churches, you know, we hear the pastor preach and he talks about all these things, many of the things we've spoken of this morning. And you think to yourself, yes, that's exactly right. There's two types of Christians. There's me, the average type of Christian, the one who's sort of like, yeah, I've been saved, hallelujah. I'm going to heaven. And then there's the others that end up being missionaries or preachers and so on. And they're the ones that submit everything to God. They're the ones that start growing. They're the ones that go out and tell everybody else about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've convinced yourself that it's okay to continue in weakness and in effectual Christian living. Because you don't want to submit everything to Him. Who'd want to give up everything? and that's the way you think about it so you've got the average Christian and then there's what we could call the super deluxe version any super deluxe versions here this morning (laughs) the benefits of the average were that your sins are forgiven you're going to go to heaven and the super deluxe version which isn't necessary for every Christian you know only only the really keen ones if you're going to be a missionary or a preacher and so on. It was not just knowing Christ as your Savior so that you're off the hook and you get into heaven one day, but it's having Jesus Christ as your Lord. And people say to me, but that's taking things too seriously, isn't it? The Bible doesn't expect us to be that serious surely God doesn't expect me to really follow all the rules and it's bringing your life under his authority and most people don't want to do that do they it's okay I'm quite happy being the average sort of Christian It's not too stressful, actually. If somebody asks me and I don't want to admit it, I just keep quiet. And the super deluxe version has to make a defense. But as you read the scriptures, you discover that there's no average Christian, there's no super deluxe version either. A man came to Jesus one day, Uh, he was rich he was young and he was a ruler and that's why we call him the rich young ruler <laughs> because basically that's pretty well all we know about him uh, and jesus was coming out of jericho one day and this man comes running up to him and he fell on his knees and he said good master what must i do to inherit eternal life now he's certainly not the only one who asked who's asked that question and could you imagine, the disciples must have been beside themselves. He's rich. He's rich. <laughs> He's young, you know. Judas was thinking about the money bag. How am I going to carry the gold once this guy starts giving? And they all had certain preconceived ideas as to what was going on. You know, this, 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 was the, this is the sort of guy we want. He's keen. <laughs> you know, we'd love it if they all came flooding into the tent to say, you know, how can I inherit eternal life? wonderful and Jesus said to him what about the commandments and the young man said which one so Jesus begins to recite a few and before the Lord Jesus could finish the list this young man interrupts and he says I've kept all of them since I was a boy now forgive me but I don't believe him I I just don't believe him And our Lord didn't believe him. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack. You're a rich man. Go and sell your possessions. Give away your riches. And then come and follow me. And there are people who take from this story that that's all they have to do. Write out a check to some Christian organization, sell everything you've got, and that's all that's required. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. And it says the man went away very sad because he was very rich. Now, why did Jesus make an issue of the man's riches? We've just said it's not because he had money. It's because the man had the wrong master. The Bible warns us that it's dangerous to be rich, but it doesn't say it's wrong. But what it does say is this, no one can serve two masters. For you love one and you hate the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. And that is what is being said to this man. If you want to receive eternal life, I need you to understand this. To do that involves receiving a new master. but there's a problem here, young man. You've already got a master, haven't you? So get rid of your master and then come follow me. That's what Jesus is saying to the rich young man. And just to give evidence of the fact that Jesus has diagnosed him correctly, the man went away empty-handed because he was not willing to trade his master for Jesus. Now notice that Jesus didn't run after him. Perhaps the disciples were nudging Jesus and saying, what have you just done? <laughs> you know, we had a lot of hope in this guy. <laughs> and you've sent him away. But Jesus didn't run after him saying, I say I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to frighten you you what why don't you come back for a moment we'll 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 let's negotiate let, let, let's begin to talk about this surely surely we can find some common ground here and you know what there are people that talk to me in exactly this way you know surely we can we can they wouldn't necessarily use the word negotiate but surely jesus understands god understands me and the problems i've got well you know what he does come on let's talk about this let's negotiate let's see what kind of a christian you'd like to be Does God ever speak to you in that way? Let's sit down and and ask you a few questions, rich young man. Would you like to have your your sins uh, forgiven? Oh, you haven't got many. Well, that shouldn't be too big a problem then, should it? You say, come on. There's obviously just a few that need forgiving. Okay, that's fine. I've made a note of those. We can forgive those. There's not many. You know, we can deal with it. You want to go to heaven, you say, when you die. Everyone wants to go to heaven when they die. That's fine. Now listen, you're a rich man, aren't you? Well, I've got some ideas as to what we could do with your wealth. Would you like me to implement that, that plan? Oh, you wouldn't no i understand it's you've built this money up it's yours you don't want to let any of it go no that, that's fine i understand don't 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 get uptight. at this moment we can negotiate we'll, we'll sort it out you're single is that right would you like me to show you who you're going to marry sorry sorry what was that i might want you to be single What I want to know is, do you want my will or your will? Can you handle that? Well, I mean, if you get stuck a little bit down the road, of course, we can always pray about it and talk again. Now, when I ascend back to my father in heaven, rich young man, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Would, would you be willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Sorry, what, what's that? What's that? As long as nothing funny happens. That's not the way it works. Is it? That's, that's not the way coming to faith in Jesus works. But the point is, he says, if you're going to grow in the love of Christ, understand this, as you receive Jesus as Lord. Now this may not be significant, but Jesus is called Savior just 24 times in the New Testament. But he's called Lord over 600 times. Do you begin to see? We're not in a position to negotiate. We come and we submit everything to Him. Everything. And we let God through His will dictate in our life what He wants there to be. Because I cannot live the Christian life but he can. I close with a final illustration. Uh, my wife, is she in here this morning? Was, it's was worth asking because it's just better to, uh, I can't see her, but never mind. No, oh no, she's not, right? Okay, so we're fine. <laughs> okay, my wife's lovely. She's got lots of ability and lots of talent She looks after and she cares for our children and she teaches them. And she's a great cook. And if you were to come to our home for a meal, you'd enjoy her cooking. You'd enjoy what she spreads and puts before us for food. And I suppose if I wanted to introduce her to all of you this morning and I invited her to come up onto the platform and I said, ladies and gentlemen, this morning I'd like you to meet my cook, what do you think she'd say? I'd be in trouble. Okay. My wife is also Dutch. (laughs) So I need to be careful how I uh, translate roughly what she might say. (laughs) Okay. But it would go something like this. Who do you think you are? What did you say? I'm not your cook. And I could reply and say, but you cook for me, don't you? And I bought you a cookbook for Christmas last last Christmas. And she she might say, well, yes, I do all the cooking. I do all the cooking. (laughs) But I'm not your cook. I'm your wife. And on the day we got married, I didn't stand in front of you and our wedding guests and say, I take you to be my personal cook. I said I take you to be my wife and when she became my wife do you know what happened? I got a cook (laughs) and I got a teacher for my kids and I got a decorator and I got someone who chooses my clothes (laughs) and buys them for me and I got all kinds of things but she's not my cook You know, it's wonderfully true that Jesus saves. Jesus saves! So what's wrong with you? But if that's all we think of him, then we tend to think of him as a servant. Doing things for me rather than going beyond That to recognize that he is Lord. Because that's who Jesus is. And you get that wrong. Your Christian life will never, ever grow. And when he comes to inhabit our lives, as Paul wrote in Romans 14 verse 9, I think it is, that Christ died... And was raised to life, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He was already Lord in terms of his status as a person, his position in the universe, but that he might be Lord in the life of men and women and boys and girls and every single one of us in this tent this morning. Paul says. How are you going to get the juice out of the orange if you want to live this life effectively? Well, it happens when we realize that we can only live on the basis of I can't, but He can. He is Lord. And if He's Lord of your life, then you will discover blessings that you have never, ever dreamt possible or considered to be possible. I can't. He can. And he lives in us through his hope.